Welcome. This is jazz, just the way we like it. My name is Alfonso Severos, and this is our weekly jazz podcast, recorded live at Brick Arts in downtown Brooklyn, the People's Republic of Brooklyn. We play those classic jazz songs from the 1950s to 60s to 70s, and every now and then some of those modern songs. We also include discussions on politics and social justice issues. I am here in the studio recording live at Brick Arts in downtown Brooklyn, the People's Republic of Brooklyn. We are at Brick Brick Arts in downtown Brooklyn. I'm in the studio with my good friend, longtime friend, over 60 years, and co-host, Lawrence Williams. Hey, Larry, man, welcome. All right, what's up, Al? Hey, everything is cool in the gang, brother. Everything is cool in the gang, man. I'm just getting ready to uh, get into uh, another podcast, man. Looking forward to it. Yeah, man. A little chilly out there today. Yeah, yeah. We dropped down a little bit, but not not bad. Uh, you know, yeah. it's not typical late spring weather, but not bad enough for us to uh, put I back know. on our winter stuff. I know. I know. You know they they're trying to balance that federal budget. I mean, you know, pay the debt, uh, come to an agreement on on uh, money's already spent. Actually, agreed upon to spend some of it already spent. A debt agreement, and that Republican proposal includes a, like a twenty two percent cut across the board. Man, that includes Medicare and Medicaid. How do you cut those programs? <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Crazy, man. I, I think people should, you know, before they just listen to the news on the Republicans, you know, uh, presenting their platform, look into it. That, you know, budget cut that they're talking about, uh, trying to get rid of the debt all of a sudden. They ain't never said anything about it in the four years that Trump was in. No. They didn't talk about no debt as they spent, you know, $20 billion, $30 billion in Ira- uh, Ukraine. Ain't talk about that then. Well, hey, but they're talking about it now, and I just hope it. I know it's not going to go through because you know Democrats said no way they're not having no twenty-something percent of social programs across the board. How do you cut people who have Medicare and Medicaid? You're in a nursing home. You take a twenty-two percent cut. What does that mean? It's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of debt. Going the other way, that's what <laughs> <Yeah>. it means. <laughs> it yeah. means a lot of debt going the other way instead of it being in the, in the public sector. Now it goes into the private sector to the individual, and that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to offshoot it that way. Well, they, they, uh, they got it all wrong, man. Uh, you know? Of course they do. Yeah. All right, man. You know, we always start this podcast off with a, uh, a song or a poem, something that deals with the issue of social justice. Uh, that gets us and help keeps us in touch with our humanity and our obligation. And our social justice piece today is actually a song and a, and a poem. And she is good. She is good. R.J. Monette, A-G-A, R.J. Monette. Ah, oh, man, she did this piece that was recently being uh, released uh, last February, called The Devil You Know. The track was written 
to protect the planet and honor basic rights of all, especially the most vulnerable. She's what we call a surrealist. Uh, that surrealist, you know, you would see it in art, you would see it in literature, but you also see it in music. And that's where people dig deep for that expression of the inner creativity, almost on an unconscious level. So it doesn't restrict itself by boundaries or conventional order or even format. Uh, so Aji Monet, she's an American contemporary poet, writer, and activist. And here's the good thing. She's from Brooklyn, folks. She's right. a Brooklyn lady, born in, I don't, you know, I, I think she was born in Brooklyn, but definitely raised in Brooklyn, but live in Miami, Florida now. And she was the youngest poet to ever hold the title of Nurikin Poet Cafe, and that's the Nurikin, famous Nurikin Poet Cafe, Grand Slam champion at the age of 19 in 2007. Uh, R.J. Monet and her poem, it's, not, it's more than a poem. Her piece of creative work, this surrealist piece called The Devil You Know. So, sit back, folks, and enjoy this. Devil you know taxes the air we breathe, privatizes the water, profits off homelessness, strangles the land and injects hormones in animals, rapes the people and rewards the rich, charges you for being sick, sends a bill to your loved ones with interest when you die, laughs at us coughing up our lungs, gulping water lead dripping off our chins buys private ships to the moon, dancing with your demons, the selfish individualistic part of you, the one who rather not have a foot on your neck, or who shows up to the rally after sipping sweet comfort at a corporate gig that pays you just enough to die a little slower, 
tithing community, fostering care, how being black or woman or queer or trans or other or human or inhumane, computer or code, able body, ten fingers, ten toes, running or right or wrong, how none of it matters when the earth is a handwritten letter from the past. A ghost sculpted in blood, cities sweating bitter memories, flooded by crawling maggots and swollen hurt. How, how the sewers sing of old sidewalks, and cool breezes are fairy tales we spoon feed our children in the heat. And we were never ourselves had we known who we are without grief. A world decorated by betrayal. If we had a sense of humor, if we had a sense of humor, we'd be more radical. More migrant than citizen, we'd breathe the air clean and ration our resources, gathering hugs and holes set to bloom in pebbles of rain, reasoning with riverbeds rinsing in daylight, ridding pipelines and fossil fuels. We would melt all the guns. We would melt all the guns. The moist in the back of our knees, the lick between knuckles mocking evil and all its ill-designed destruction, we would choose the scar, we would bulldoze the walls and plant windows where widows weep. Beautiful green lakes hushed in our cradling arms. We'd become the tiny brooklet kissing creeks. We are, we are near a point of no return. A wounded woman scorned, temper sharp as a thousand shards aimed in one direction. I am weary for weeping. Me too, she whispers. Me too. The earth said. important election is in the heart. A campaign of soul, a candidate measured by their courage in the midst of the enduring strength of love, voting for the inner standing. How we make a way through no way in a basement church or a high school auditorium, a family living room. These days, these days insanity is the sanity. Stifled sobs, despair, distress, thrill, praise the people. Praise the people. Praise the people's power, the poet laureates of the poor, careworn anthems sewing from the keyholes of closed shut doors, the whistle of who and why, the architect of self-determination. If you gon' vote, 
If you gon' vote, vote with your spine. A head held high. Vote, 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 vote with the way you love. A gut singing soft city sleep, dreaming of protest. The ballot, the ballot is not a bullet, but it can be a border or a bridge. You just gon' make me vote. How you gon' vote? Pour into each other. How we mourn those we've lost, how we help hold the grief. Vote, vote, vote with child care. How you nurse the sick, lending someone your heart. Pay fair wages. Pay fair wages. That's the least you can do is pay fair wages. Vote, vote by listening. Resist the artificial division of our deaths held together by a common thread of concern, self-determined reliance. Respect, the body is a ballroom of grief and despair. We, the life, we, the chosen, we, we the freed migrant rebel workers, we, the word workers, we, we the shoeless and standing tall, we, the houseless and housing hearts, we, the teachers, still students, we, the farmers in the field, we, the shamans being healed. Revolution, revolution is not a spectator sport. Silence is a noise too. Somewhere, somewhere there is an incorruptible spirit. Re-remembering a time when we voted with the thoughts in our mind. It begins with you, it begins with you loving you enough to love me as I am you. We are the country's consciousness rising, and we are only as powerful as our vote made in the flesh. A voice, a voice bravely raising up, reverberating new visions. Wow. <laughs> That's all I can say is wow. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> man, she is dynamite, she man. Is, she Aja is. Monet, what a piece, man. Wow. I like the way that uh, you know, you you explained it uh, uh something about the, the style. Yes, yeah, surrealist. Surrealist. And I, I see what you mean, but the way that she goes she goes deep into it and then, you know, weaves like uh Yeah. A yeah. beautiful it's just so beautiful what she did. She, she, yeah, they have cats playing jazz. At one point, it sounds like they're playing, they're playing the blues. Another point, it sounds like free jazz. And sometimes they're playing at a slow pace, blues pace. And she is rapping on a poem at a quick pace. You know, and then you have these voices coming in, popping in with little sayings here and there. Uh, sometimes a word, sometimes a sentence, you know. And... If you look at it on paper, you say it don't make sense. Right. But if you look, listen to it. Yeah, it's master. Oh my God. Yeah. And there's some rhyme in there too. I mean, oh, like I, I, man. I, I mean, and I, you know, because when it's when I hear the spoken word, a lot of times it's not about rhyming. No. But she was able to toss a little bit of rhyming and beautifully oh. situated. And she 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 captured you and took you on a trip. 
Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, man. This I when I heard this sister, and I said, man, this is truly a poet. She sounds. She remind me so much in, in portions of her poem of Nikki Giovanni. That's what I Nikki. was thinking. That's what I was thinking yeah. about. Oh man. Yeah. Potent, fast, powerful. Those and are the she words. She was able to get that at nineteen. She was a poet at nineteen. Yeah, poet. Uh, she won the uh, contest in. Uh, Norican became the uh, youngest uh, champion, the youngest uh, Grand Slam champion. Wow. Yeah. I could see why. Yeah. Man, it was just so much full of, full of information, full of fire, full of solutions. Right. That's I'm important. Never, you know, usually a poet won't talk about vote, but she took the vote and, and, and personalized it, man, and made it into a, you know, Weapon. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Wow. Yeah, man. Uh, and and this piece, The Devil You Know, you hear the title, you thinking she's going to go one way with it. But she didn't, no, man. She did not. <laughs> <laughs> she you did know, not. She did not. You know, and I appreciate that. <laughs> and, um, yeah, yeah. Wow, it was just powerful, man. I'm going to follow this sister, man. Um, A.J. Monet, A.J.A. Folks, M-O-N-E-T. Uh, her album came out in February, I believe, of this year. Uh, and this was, I think this is the title poem. I may be wrong, the devil you know. But she has a few pieces out there on YouTube. And uh, if you haven't heard her before, look her up, man. All right, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, what a way to start the podcast, yeah, right? Yeah, man, beautiful. Yeah, man, I like that creative creative energy. And I started thinking about the surrealists. And, and I, I knew about the surrealists in, in art and literature and how they sort of march to a different beat. Or don't even march. They just go to different beats uh, and put it together that's very non-conventional. And I started to think about, well, who's the surrealist in jazz, you know? And these folks that did did this, you know? And uh, we're going we're gonna to listen to them today. In fact, this podcast is about surrealists, jazz surrealists. Uh, but before we get there, man, I wanted to talk about an issue. God, all over the papers, immigration this, immigration that, immigration all over the papers, man. They're making it sound like immigration is going to cause the destruction of this country. People are panicking. What they're not telling us is that this country has 300 and, what, 32 million people? That's a hell of a lot of people. 332 million. And even if you took it another half a million with those kinds of numbers, it won't make a difference. But if you cram them all in one space, it will make a difference. All right? Uh, Larry, we got an unemployment at 3.5%, damn near acceptable all across the board. Everybody can work and get a job. You can find it. The jobs are there. 3.5%, man, that's <laughs> ain't been that low in a long time. Uh, the unemployment rate. What do you think is causing this immigration, and what do you think we can do about it? Well, I, 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 um, 
think that one of the things that are are uh, driving in, um, the problem is a commitment on the part of the U.S. Uh, uh, to do something about it. Uh, there was a act that happened in uh, June <coughs> 10th of 2022, the L.A. Declaration, uh, which is a big step in the right direction of uh, what it what it brought across was that stability and assistance for uh, for communities, uh, exposure of legal pathways for protection, and hurricane border management policies, and the coordinated emergency response. That's what that did. But there's also other. I mean, in in line with that, there were other uh, things that I came I came across that I thought was like important as well. Um, I'm just give me a second one is a. Once again, it's a comprehensive immigration reform. This involves creating a pathway to citizens for undocumented immigrants, improving border securities, addressing visa backlogs, and improving the system for legal immigration, increasing funding for asylum processing with rising number of people seeking asylum in the U.S. Significant funding is required to process the claims faster and more efficient. Deportation priority prioritizing deportation for individuals who pose a real threat to national security and public safety, rather than targeting long-term undocumented immigrants who have been complying with the law. And addressing the root causes of immigration, tracking the most root causes of migration, such as economic instability, political persecution, and violence in Central America was specifically reduce the need for people to migrate to the U.S. And cooperation, I'm sorry, collaboration with other countries. Working with other countries to improve economic and political situation will help to reduce the number of people who seek asylum or migrate to the U.S. Those are like five solutions. Yes. That would be very helpful. I agree with you. You know, people got to understand that United States is part of the UN International Agreements on Refugees and Asylum, which says if someone comes to your country and claim to asylum, that they have a right to a hearing. And then you determine if that's a legitimate claim or illegitimate. If it's legitimate, they become a refugee in your country and you take them in. If it's illegitimate, you have the you have the authority to deport. We signed off that and we agreed with that. Most of the people who coming in through Mexico are coming in, crossing the border at that point illegally, but claiming asylum. They're presenting themselves. They're not running and hiding. So they're doing it the legal way by both international and federal law. The problem is, is that the court system in this country at this point, if you if you're lucky enough to be given a date for an asylum hearing, it could be up to seven years away. Right. So most people are released for those seven years and they go with family or go ever wherever they can and move on with their lives. but we have these large number of folks coming in. And there's some things that's driving this. 
One is, you know, there's two the two biggest countries that's supplying the most is Venezuela and Cuba. Twenty years ago, Venezuela was one of the richest countries in Latin America because it's major oil producer. All right. Uh, they weren't depending on the U.S. for anything. Uh, we didn't like their socialist government. We put it in embargo and sanction. In other words, we blocked them from trading their oil. It reduced the sale of their oil by well over 75%. That reduced the income in that country immensely, and it produced poverty, consequently, immigration. We still have that embargo, all right? They, they lost like something like, uh, in Venezuela, the oil decreased by 92% its sales as a main export, that's the main export, under other, and wages decreased by 72%. Can you live if you lost 72% of your income? <laughs> <laughs> no, I have to go in the jungle. I have to go I have to go in the forest someplace to live. <laughs> and you know the effects of that is that it, it just trickled down the economy. Yeah. So that's driving Venezuelans. And the same thing has been driving Cubans and we had an embargo and sanction on them since the 60s and it ain't changed nothing. Except have the same kind of devastating effect on the economy. Obama opened up Cuba for a while, and what did they do? They started having private business. They started having tourism. The economy started growing. They wasn't trying to spread some anti-American philosophy. Trump got in office and shut it down. So if you didn't go before with Obama, it was when it was easy to go to Cuba, forget it now. Biden still hasn't opened it up. Right. And so if we re get rid of these sanctions and embargoes, because the embargo is, is blocking all kinds of trade, we can see a significant decrease. All of the folks agree a significant decrease in immigration. It won't solve it, but it'll damn sure help. And the other thing is we got to address this as a national issue can't be left to states or little towns or all this kind of stuff. It got to come from the federal government, Larry. We got to have a national program. I mean, we got space. We, do, we have the space for folks, and in some ways we need people. Why not organize it like we did, Roosevelt did during the Depression uh, when they, we had 25% of the nation unemployed? He did national programs like the Civilian Conservation Corps, where you had put people in groups and camps and they worked on projects, uh, whether it's you know cleaning up the environment, whether it's infrastructure. People can get earn a little bit money, have mandatory savings, they can begin to learn English, and they can begin to have a path, not toward necessarily towards citizenship, but legal uh, status. And people will go through this process for a year or so. So we don't have people scattered or concentrated just in certain cities. Uh, we would have a process. And we can do better, you know, kinds of investigating the individual. 
making sure that, you know. And besides, I don't know of any terrorists that came through Latin America. Why, do you, why would a terrorist want to go through that immigration process when they can just go to Canada and walk across the border? Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, unless we get some kind of national policy, because, you know, what's his name? Uh, was putting kids in the school. Uh, the mayor here, Adams, he just, you know, today, yesterday, kind of reversed that. But using school gymnasiums to house folks? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and most of the hotels now in Manhattan that used to house all the tourists. Uh, housing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but I, that, I wonder what what at what price the city is paying for these hotels. I mean that. Oh, you to, know they're driving up the cost. I know that. I know that it has to be because uh, prices for a hotel room in in the city <laughs> was over four hundred dollars a night. Yeah. Oh so yeah. So you multiply that by seven, and you're talking. You know, forget yeah. about it. Yeah. It would be much cheaper to put them in an organized place, build these organized, you know, I hate to use the word camps, but I have no other word to to, to describe what I'm talking Until about. Until they can, you know, yeah. become legalized. You, they can't yeah. just expect that. They can work on projects, begin to earn a little money, yeah. save a little money, do the things they need to help uh, uh, integration into society. Yeah, one of the things that um, I came across, too, was the fact that <clears throat> the immigration in the pa- in the past have been um, not the best things in the world. Uh, they excluded uh, at one point Catholics and Jews, and they only wanted Anglo-Saxon. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There was a point in time in history oh, yeah. where that happened. There oh, was yeah. a point in time in history where on the West Coast they didn't want Chinese. Oh yeah, talk about the Chinese. The the, the National Immigration Act. I think it was around 1910. Excluded, yes. said, no Asians. Right. And you know what changed that? The U- United States had the Civil Rights Movement, the Civil Rights Act, and when they passed the Civil Rights Act in 1964, and then they passed the Voting Rights Act, it changed the mood of Congress. And Congress voted to completely change the Immigration Act. And it allowed Asians into this country. Before, that was extremely restricted. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, you know, there is that that historical connection between uh, the struggle of African Americans and Asian immigration. Yeah. yeah. Uh, man. Mainly happened on the West Coast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, when we grew up, man, the only... We grew up in this city in the early 60s, and the only place we saw Asian people was in Chinatown. That's correct. In that small restricted area with a small restricted number. Yep. Now, it's one of the fastest growing groups in the in the city. I just look at my building. There's so many Asian people in my building yeah. I've never seen before. And, you know, they have no idea that, that there's that connection to the African-American Civil Rights Movement. No, I didn't. I wasn't aware of that yeah, either. They have no idea that history is there. All right, man, let's move on, man. That was some good talking, Larry. At least, you know, hey, hot issues, man. Yeah, we got to yeah. address it, though, man. We yeah, we to have to address it. Like I said, this L.A. Uh, Act, I think, is a uh, a step in the right direction. Yeah, because it addresses all all the uh, aspects. Aspects of it, and that's, that's what you have yeah. to do. You just can't do it. 
uh, a little, you know, you just can't do a piecemeal. You have to, you have to look at the whole picture, yeah. and then figure a way to attack Put it together. That. Yeah. We have the solution. We just don't have the will. Yeah, that's that's the, that's what we that's what we need. Mm-hmm. And if, if if Donald comes back, it's just gonna we're gonna step oh, back. Forget we're gonna go it. Even further forget back. Forget it. You know. Uh, all right, folks, man, we're going to do some jazz, and today we're going to do some surrealist jazz, just like that first piece by R.J. M- Monet. Uh, we're going to look at some really uh, creative surrealists, and uh, you may not thought of some of these artists as surrealists, but they, their work was, some of it anyway. And the first person we're going to do is uh, Miles Davis. Oh, yeah. And uh, this album, I remember when it came out, Larry, upset a lot of people. They thought Miles went crazy because he wasn't playing what Miles usually play. He took it in a completely different direction. I mean, first he came out with in a silent way. And they says, okay, maybe he wanted to do a little electronic stuff. Then he came out with Bitches Brew. Man. You either loved it or you hated, hated it. it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Folks, Miles Davis, Bitches Bro. Sit back and follow this. It's a 20 minute piece. Enjoy.
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Peace be still. 1970 Miles Davis bitches brew. With Miles Davis, Wayne Shorter, Benny Maupin, John McLaughlin, Chick Corea, Joe Zabano, Dave Holland, Harvey Brooks, uh, Lenny White, Jack DeJohnette, Don Ellis, and Juma Santos. I think there was 13 musicians on that album. It was called the most revolutionary album in jazz history. In fact, that album went on and changed the game, man. It solidified that whole thing called Jazz Rock Fusion. What an album, Larry. Beautiful album, beautiful album. And it was a lot of revolutionary things on there. Uh, they had like the, the three piano players, one at the left, <laughs> one at the right, and one in the center. They oh, yeah. had a, a, a drummer that was uh, a left drummer and a right drummer, if you listen. And yeah. They're two separate uh, drummers going on. And the thing that I, another thing that I really liked about it was the bass clarinet. Oh, yeah, bass clarinet. With, with Benny, with Ben uh, Maupin. I, haven't, I hadn't heard that in a long time. And the way that yeah. he played it was really well in this one. Oh, yeah. This album, not only did it win a, a Grammy in 1971, this was the first gold-certified album that Miles put out. And guess what? It sold over a million copies. Yeah. For a jazz album, that's unheard of. But it laid the foundation for jazz fusion, so much jazz rock fusion. So much of the jazz out today is jazz rock fusion, man. With you know electric guitar, organ, all that stuff. And the old cats didn't have that. Didn't yeah, that. back in the day, that much electric uh, uh, piano was never. No, that would never be even thought of. Yeah, all that electric stuff was not even thought of to be used. And you know, everything was acoustic. I know, and the way it was organized, he had all these cats playing different instruments, playing different rhymes and rhythms and, and riffs, everybody doing it differently, and he had that trumpet dancing on top of it all. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it yeah. just fit so beautifully. Yeah, 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 but it was such a drive. This one, this particular one, to me, was so driving. Uh, the the music in the background was like doom, yeah, just going, I just know. keep I know. going, steady, not yeah. stopping. You know, I loved it. I love. It. I mean, yeah. I I love loved it from the very beginning. Yeah, surrealist man, that's surrealist. Uh, Miles Davis, bitches brew man, and the cover has some artwork, folks. If you've never seen the cover of Miles Davis, bitches brew, go check it out. Go check it out. Oh wow, Larry man. We got time for one more. One more, man. I was hoping we can squeeze two in there, but we got to go with one. And this is a Ornette piece, Ornette Coleman. And, you know, we're talking some surrealist artists, man. You got to talk about Ornette Coleman. This is with Ornette Coleman, Dewey Redman, Jimmy Garrison, and Elvin Jones. I mean, if you're a Coltrane, man, you know some of those artists. And this is a piece called The Garden of Souls. The Garden of Soul. So, uh, folks, sit back and, and enjoy.
Anna Komen, Dewey Redman, Jimmy Garrison, and Elvin Jones on a piece called The Garden of Souls from the New York Is Now album, recorded in 1968. Larry, how you like that piece? That was really nice. That was really nice. The two of them getting playing that, uh, I think it was a tenor or alto sax that they were playing. It was really good. And, of course, uh, Jimmy and Elvin playing... Um, Playing uh, bass and drums, oh man, that was you know typical, uh, great performance by them. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, Arnett Coleman was such a master. You know, most people don't realize that he won a Pulitzer Prize for music. A Pulitzer? Yeah. Wow. Uh, what a what a master. He was a true genius, man. Uh, Arnett Coleman. And his, he was one of the founders of the uh, Free Jazz Movement. And his music can be c- definitely put in the surrealist style. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, man. <clears throat> I hope you enjoyed this, man. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I had a really <coughs> good time today. Especially yeah. Miles, you know, this is real good, guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did some Miles. You know, we played some on that Conan. And, of course, we played Aja Monet, the fabulous surrealist blues poet. Uh, I hope you folks enjoyed the, uh, the podcast. We definitely enjoyed you listening. But it's that time, folks. It's that time. And uh, it goes by so fast. So fast. So. What can I say, folks? Well, until the next time, and as always, peace and love. Pretty baby, you are the soul who snaps my control. Such a funny thing, but every time you're near me, I never can behave. You give me a smile, and then I'm wrapped up in your magic. There's music all around me. Crazy music, music that keeps calling me so Very close to you, turns me your slave Come and do with me any little thing you want to Anything, baby, just let me get next to you Am I insane or do I really see heaven in your eyes? Bright as stars that shine up above you in the clear blue skies How I worry about you Just can't live my life without you Baby, come here Don't have no fear Oh, is there a wonder why I'm really feeling in the mood for love So tell me why Stop to think About this weather, my dear This little dream might fade away There I go talking out of my head again Oh baby, won't you come and put our two hearts together That would make me strong and breathe Ooh, when we are one I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid If there's a cloud up above us Go on and let it rain I'm sure our love together will endure a hurricane Oh my baby Please let me love you and give me relief from this awful misery. What is all this love? Oh, I'm loving you, my sweet. I am not.
anymore, not like before. Don't you understand me? Now, baby, please put yourself together. Do it soon. My soul's on fire. Come on and take me. I'll be what you make me, my darling, my dear. Oh, baby, you make me feel so good. Let me take you by the Visit out there in that new promised land. Maybe there we can find a good place to use a loving state of mind. I'm so tired of being without and never knowing what love's about. James, would you can come on in, man, and you can blow now if you want to. We're through. <laughs> 